Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC back in Vegas this weekend for UFC Vegas 37. Ryan Spann versus Anthony Smith. We will, of course, be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on the main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we also give you an underdog in a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. And we have been red hot all three picks. Our parlay and our underdog hit last event, so make sure you are tuning into this one. You got nothing to lose and a whole lot to win. Plus, I'm going to be giving you guys interviews with two of the fighters who are on the fight card. First, I'm going to be talking to Devin the Brown Bear Clark, who is fighting in the co-main event against Ian Kudalaba. He talks about not only fighting Ian Kudalaba, but the potential of some shenanigans before the fight as well. So you're going to want to listen to that. And then later on in the show, I've got your interview with Christos Yagos, who is four out of his last five and is going to be fighting ranked fighter Armand Sakurian. And he's talking all about his change to Sanford MMA and getting that number next to his name. But before we get to any of that great content, i got to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there each and every week, you can check out my bonus betting pick. That's right, you can get a bonus betting pick for me. But that's only on the Top Turtle MMA page on Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Devin, the Brown Bear Clark, who fights Eon Kudalaba at UFC Vegas 37. That fight is on September 18th. So, Devin, I, I want to start by talking about your last fight. You're obviously coming off of uh, kind of an exciting, but also a little bit of a letdown of a time. You got your first ever UFC main event back in November against uh, Anthony Smith. Obviously, it didn't end the way that you wanted to, but but gives me a little insight. What, what was that like for you to, to get a chance to headline a card for the first time? Uh, it was great. It was a great experience. Uh, I just wish it would have been a little more natural and set up for for it to be that way. It was because it was kind of by just by cancellation because the other fights got uh, the main event got canceled. But so it didn't really feel like a real main event. But it did happen, and we did get that experience. You know, the experience of preparing for five rounds, even if it was one day's notice. But just that <laughs> mentality of going into a five round fight and being the main event and fighting later and stuff like that. So it was, it was a super, uh, super good experience and I'll definitely be able to use it in the future. Absolutely. Now I know, like you said, it, it didn't go exactly the way you wanted to. The, the lead up to it was kind of weird. The build up to it was kind of weird. Was there anything that you decided after that fight really needed to go back to work in the gym and fix, or was it more of just a uh, kind of got caught in the wrong place, wrong time kind of thing? Uh, no, it was, you know, we, we, we got all the skills and stuff like that. It was just, uh, um, not, uh, not quite ready for, for the moment for something. Um, cause at the time my mother-in-law had just passed 
I was going through a lot with the family. So uh, I think Brendan Schwab said it too. Like the moment was just too big for me with everything, you know, with uh, the mother-in-law and then the fight getting changed to the main event and stuff like that. It was, it was, it was a little too much for me at the time. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, uh, I think that's why I learned so much from it, but it was one of those things. I almost don't count that fight. I know I wasn't in the right mindset to fight. I did it anyways. I'm glad I did. Um, now I kind of know my limits a little bit and stuff like that. So, And was it one of those things where you, you felt like you had to take the fight too, not just because it was possibly a main event and it was, you know, just the timing of the fight, but also because it was such a big name. You know, Anthony Smith being a guy who who has fought for the UFC title and you felt like maybe you, you wouldn't get that name right away again if you, you turned that fight down or back mm-hmm. down? Yeah, I mean, it was it was just such a big opportunity, huge opportunity, and um, actually, it was it was mainly my mother-in-law. Before she passed, you know, she wanted me to fight. Um, that was one of her things. Like she said, "No, you're not coming back here. You're gonna go fight." So it was something I just had to stick to, uh, and you know, uh, take in that experience. So it was something that we, you know, I talked about with my family, but we decided to go ahead and keep fighting anyways, and. Um, yeah, it was such a great opportunity and just, you know, that's what we do. We fight. So, uh, we, we did. Well, and my condolences to you and your family, obviously, but, uh, Thank you. We, we are going to, to talk a little bit about this fight coming up now too. So you're, you're fighting Ian Kudalaba yeah. and, and here's the thing, like, I'm sure you're aware of his pre-fight antics by this point, right? Like he had the single collar tie (laughs) with Dustin Jacoby at weigh-ins. He he got into an over-under clinch with Magomed Ankalaev before even the fight started. What what are your thoughts on this antics and and where this guy's headspace is at? I love it. Uh, I love a good bully. I love to bully bullies. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm always about respect and stuff like that and would never bully anybody uh, outside of just, you know, being fun with my friends. But, um, there's nothing more than I love to make somebody like that that actually tries to bully people and, you know, try to use his muscles and stuff to intimidate. I think it's pretty funny. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a weakness really. Well, and, and I've heard that too from Dustin Jacoby. He said a very similar thing. He also said before that fight too, though, that he knew that Ian Kudalaba wouldn't be able to get near him without paying some sort of press. And then he did it. Like Ian Kudalaba has a way of yeah. doing it. So, do, do you have any expectations or, or like thoughts about, you know, what happens when you square off with, you know, during yeah, fight week? Hopefully we make it to the fight. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we make it to the fight. Cause you know, I look like I'm a nice guy and I'm super respectful, but you put your hands on me. Like it's a different story. You'll see a different, different Devin Clark. Um, a lot of people I haven't seen before. So, uh, but yeah, you put your hands on me. We might not make it to the fight. I don't give a shit. Well, I, I certainly hope you do get to make it to the fight because it is an exciting fight, too, I will say, because, like, your your yeah. styles are, are interesting, right? Like, both of you, uh, yeah. you know, skilled on the feet, but, but both like to wrestle a little bit, too. What what did you think of the mm-hmm. stylistic matchup when they gave it to you? Uh, it's it's got a – this match has great makings for a potential bloody mess, you know, um, or just a wrestling match for that instance, <laughs> but uh, I doubt it. I doubt you're gonna either one of us gonna get out of this fight without any blood, uh, whether it's mine or his. But um, yeah, I think it's a it's a great matchup. We're both pretty strong, especially first round. You never know what's gonna happen first round. Obviously, the second round will slow down a little bit, but that's usually when my wrestling takes over. So um, 
And that's something you saw in his last fight against uh, Jacoby was he slowed down after that first round. He had some, he had like eight, he drug him down eight times, got eight takedowns. Um, but after that, he couldn't really do much. Um, that's where I'm good at picking it up after, after all that, uh, after all those exchanges, especially wrestling exchanges, I can go all day long. And, and is that where you expect to win this fight too, by, by wearing him out, taking him into deep waters and getting him out there? It's a good possibility, very good possibility. Uh, we've been training so long now and training a lot of this stuff, and a lot of the stuff that I train for fits fits to beat his style. Um, where I struggle, it comes to <laughs> in the past, you see it, but the little bit taller guys is where I struggle a little bit. But he's right in my wheelhouse. He's six one, I think, so it's perfect, perfect range for me, especially for my wrestling and my striking. So it's kind of wherever wherever the fight needs to go, it's going to go. Well, I love to hear it. Now, before I let you go, I did want to ask you about a couple of other things outside of your fight, too, because, you know, the, the main mm-hmm. event for this fight card, and I, I believe you're listed as the co-main event, but the main event for this fight card yeah. are, is two guys you fought before in, in the aforementioned Anthony yep. Smith and, and Ryan Spann. <laughs> so t- tell me about yeah. what you think of that matchup and, and what you think about those two guys fighting, you know, uh, uh, right after you, seemingly, on this fight card. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty good matchup, actually. I'm not really sure where it's gonna go. Um, depends on how. I think it really depends on how Anthony comes out. I think he'd almost bet on Ryan Span staying calm and using his rangy striking, no matter what. But Anthony's come out a few different ways. Um, maybe he, like he did with me, maybe he goes for a takedown, um, uses his grappling. I think if it gets to the ground, it might be a little bit different, especially if Anthony's on top. I know Ryan's pretty strong pretty strong guy he's got a pretty long uh left hook but uh yeah so i mean great matchup yeah i, I think it's a great matchup too now i did have one more question again a little bit outside of uh of your fight week but you know the the talk about john jones moving up to heavyweight is obviously all over mma it seems like it gets a new headline every yeah. single day you're one of his training partners mm-hmm. you train at jackson wink give us an update on what it's like training with Big John Jones, and it, uh, you know, where is it in in progress right now? He's definitely taken all the right steps to transition to heavyweight. You see a lot of guys just kind of gain gain weight however they want, but he's brought in some great trainers and stuff like that, and he's making, you know, he's he's uh, something else in the weight room. So he's definitely put on the sides the right way and definitely transitioning to a heavyweight. You can definitely see it. Uh, and it's pretty cool to watch, especially at that level. When John does something, it's, yeah, as we all know, it's on another level. So I can't wait for him to compete at heavyweight. I know he's going to get that, that championship belt there too. So, Yeah, I, I think a lot of people have that same sentiment, but you having the firsthand look, I, I'm sure it's extra special. But now I'm going to ask you one more question yeah. about that. Now, he's still, I assume, training one of your training partners fairly regularly. Is that – Changed anything at all in the way that you trade? The fact that he's that much bigger than you now? Is is he that much bigger than you now? Uh, I mean, definitely weight wise. But I, I, at Jackson Wink, we're used to we have some big boys you here. Do. I don't know if you've seen the roster <laughs> yeah, lately, <you> but <laughs> we have we have multiple guys over six five and close to three hundred pounds. <laughs> so it's nothing new for me to go with with the bigger guys. Um, but it is interesting, John being so big, and with his skill level, it's pretty frightening. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you and all of the work that you put in with those absolute monsters that you have down there at Jackson Wink. 
this upcoming yeah. weekend, September 18th. Once again, fans, this was Devin Clark who fights Elon Kudalaba at UFC 37, or Vegas 37, rather. Devin, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Devin, the Brown Bear Clark. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby Vreeland. I am joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let's kick it off here. No UFC this past weekend. No Bellator, no PFL. So I got to ask, did you watch Tito Ortiz get knocked out by Anderson Silva? And if so, give me your thoughts. All right. Well, don't go by me on these sorts of things because I'm like a fight addict slash junkie so yeah i watched it but i feel depraved i want to take a shower after i watch these freak (laughs) boxing fights i didn't think much of it i mean my first honest thought was with these one-off kind of freak show thriller promotions putting it on i don't even know if what i'm watching is real i mean let's be brutally honest and for much flack as i give the ufc for how they sometimes treat fighters uh yeah i'm the hugest ufc fan there is really when it comes down to it and i love the single entity uh of one promotion with a single set of belts this is why i hate boxing it's just all over the map there's no uniformity and you get these types of events and you know i watched it and i thought to myself in what i watching real is anyone taking a dive so there's that aspect to it and then it's just over the hill fighters i mean i loved anderson silva i don't need to see him fight anymore i don't need to see him box though i would love to see him knock jake paul's head off but that all being said i just don't care like it's it's almost kind of stupid to me what about you yeah i don't really care either i mean i i will say i watched it because you know maybe i didn't uh pay good money to watch it but maybe i watched it and i would say this too like for everybody out there who's like, oh, Cheeto got served. Like, what the what the hell did you think was going to happen? Even when he was in the UFC, his boxing was shit. And now he's been, like, not fighting for all this time. Anderson has been fighting for all this time. And what was Anderson always good at? Boxing. You watched a, a dude who could box fight a dude who could only wrestle in a boxing match. Like, it, it was what I thought it was going to be. But I also do really love watching Tito Ortiz get punched in the head. So uh, <laughs> I did I did find some joy there. <laughs> Yeah, so there's an aspect to that. I do have to say, like, what annoys me when I watch Tyron Woodley not be able to knock out Jake Paul, even though it's boxing, what annoys me about the whole thing is you get the filthy casual fan where I have this nightmare that I'm going to be out at a bar in New York City one day, and someone's going to overhear me talking about UFC, and they're going to say, ah, you watch that crap? They're the worst strikers in the world. Didn't you see Jake Paul knock out Ben Askren? Or something stupid, you know, that has no nuance, that has no context to it, a comment like that. And I just, like, once a fighter, it, not heavyweight, we talk about this all the time, you can be a little older at heavyweight, but once a fighter is past 35, I don't care what happens. I'm not going to put value into what happens You know, Anderson Silva, Tito Ortiz. Tito Ortiz could have knocked Anderson Silva out. It wouldn't have made a fucking difference to me. Anderson Silva's still the better striker than Tito Ortiz. And had they fought in their prime, which absolutely could have happened because Anderson had fought at 205, um, you know, we all know Anderson would have fucking sauced him. So it's just like I have problems putting meaning to these things. Like, what does it even mean? It means fucking nothing. Yeah, and it's like you said before, you you – You say this all the time on the podcast, a good matchmaking and matchmaking that makes me care answers a question. This didn't answer any question. It affirmed everything we already knew and believed. And 
at, at the end of the day, where do either of these guys go from there? I don't know. Like you said, maybe Anderson Silva knocks a Paul's head off and maybe Tito Ortiz runs for governor of California. So like, you know, like I don't think anything changed as a result of this fight. Didn't answer any questions. Um, but again, as a final word on it, it's always a good day when Tito gets punched in the head. <laughs> <laughs> you keep going back to that. Well, wait, I have two more things I want to touch on very quickly about this. One, to my earlier point, which is I don't want to see MMA fighters get embarrassed, and we're not sending our best, as they say, right? This is why I'm actually not opposed to Dana White spoke about doing some form of a boxing promotion, and I think that kind of fell by the wayside because he didn't really want to, you know, work with the athletic commissions on it or whatever the case may be, the pay structure, the Ali Act kind of got, it made him get cold feet. But what I wouldn't mind about that is I'd love to see Jorge Masvidal go and box. I'd love to see a fighter in their prime right now who has more of a boxing style go and represent MMA in one of these one-offs. Now, I'm not saying someone's going to go and become a boxing champion, because they won't, because MMA is its own singular discipline, and when you're in your prime and fighting for titles, you need to be focusing on MMA. But if we are going to have these freak show fights, much like he let Connor out of a contract to go box Floyd Mayweather and the UFC made a fat envelope off of it, I would love to see the UFC, like, if we're going to have MMA guys go and box, I'd love to actually see an actual good striker in their prime be allowed to go and box, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I would love to see that. You know, like, w- watching Israel Adesanya go ro- box a real boxer, that's interesting to me. Like, like I, I would love to go see that. But instead, you're right, we're seeing, you know, a guy pass his prime on a four-foot losing streak, or a guy who was, you know, maybe one of the worst boxers that MMA has ever seen in, in Ben Askren, with the exception of, like, you know, the CM Punks of the world and stuff like that. He's He's better than him, but... Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Like, it would be nice so that you could shut up those casual voices. But, like, at the same time, it, it's so – I'm so glad we don't have Israel Adesanya's division being held up. You know, like, we've got a chance to see him fight Whitaker. We've got a chance to see him fight Brunson. And we might lose all of that had he gone on some sort of boxing excursion. And, I mean, hey, we did lose a whole bunch of Connor matches that way. So, ultimately – I'm happy those guys aren't leaving, but I could definitely see what you you mean by, you know, the benefit clearly existing to sending a real representative of MMA boxing. Let's send our best. All right. Last note on this. We had spoken about this a little bit off air. A report came out the other day that uh, and this was reported by P.F. Chang, CEO and nerd extraordinaire Ariel Hawani, that some quote unquote influential Industry insiders, I, I, I suppose that means an MMA, but it could just mean the fight game as a whole, are collaborating on an MMA promotion that's going to have a be- better revenue sharing model than what we currently see in the UFC. By all accounts, UFC now valued at about $9 billion, twice at what Endeavor purchased it for, having their best year on record in 2020, their best first half on record in 2021. Still seeing about 18, maybe 20% revenue share to the fighters. So now there's a rumor out there that there might be a fight league that's going to be more in line with the NFL, the NBA, that's just going to instill right off the bat a fighters union. Sounds like this crazy utopia that doesn't seem possible, but you and I were talking off air, and I think you actually had. No one knows who's behind it yet. The report hasn't broken. Maybe we could break some news ourselves because I think you had a pretty good educated guess. Who do you think it is? I mean, if if I'm being really honest, I think uh, there is a pretty strong chance that this involves one or both of the Paul brothers in some facet. Um, mm-hmm. If you looked at their concerted 
social media efforts over the last, I mean, even going before the Ben Askren fight, they were chiming in on what the UFC fighters make as a percentage and stuff like that. You'll see them post graphics that have it next to the MLB, next to other things. You know, he did that thing where he, he took a whole bunch of his pay and he made sure his boxers got paid. I can't remember which Paul brother it is. Just, just they're one of more of his <laughs> to me. You know, they're, they're the same yeah. person. But, like, I think it was Jake broke a whole bunch of his salary off and gave it to all the other boxers on the card to show that, like, all boxers should be paid. All boxers should get what they're worth. That kind of deal. Up and down the card, I think they probably have something to do with it and probably just found the right business partner, somebody who knows the fight promotion game that can sort of help them out here. And whether that's like a super agency that like really hates the UFC, you know, I, I can't ever remember the name. Of it. Is it CAA that represents? Yeah, uh, creative Francis. artist agency. Yeah, yep. they, yeah, they represent Francis Ngannou, who's currently in the middle of a contract dispute spat type thing with the UFC. Wouldn't surprise me if he, they were a part of it or the Kawa brothers who um, they represent a whole bunch of people who have fought with the UFC over bullshit, including uh, John Jones, although I don't think they actually represent John Jones anymore. Um, but regardless, like a, a super agent like that could be a partner with the Paul brothers or, you know, Hey, maybe like an old promoter, you know, I know Reed Harris from WEC works with the UFC now, but like, you know, any of those organizations that they bought out, those guys wind up finding jobs elsewhere. Like, you know, we've seen Scott Coker go a whole bunch of places since Strikeforce ended, you know, Bjorn Rebney is probably sitting out there watching MMA somewhere in, in some back room because, uh, we haven't heard from him pretty much since Bellator ousted him. So yeah, like, I think it, it's probably some financial backing from the Paul brothers combined with a couple of people who actually know what they're doing as far as MMA is concerned. And, hey, like, I, I'm all for competition. I, I think the UFC having competition is a good thing for the UFC, and they haven't really had it. You know, like, PFL is its own thing. Uh, Bellator is its own thing. If this did it, it would really change the pay structure for a lot of these places, and it could be a real competitor. So, uh, you know, I, I support it. I hope whatever it is happens and finds a network to broadcast it. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of be cautiously optimistic because these types of things, you know, like think about how many different fighters unions we had popped up, including one with the aforementioned Bjorn Redney, right? Bjorn Redney and Kane Velasquez and GSP and TJ Dillashaw were all supposed to be leading one. I'm also missing one person. There was definitely five. It might have been Cowboy Cerrone. Uh, Tim Kennedy, I think, was in there. Ah, but, yeah, it might have been um, Tim Kennedy. But, yeah, like, I'm going to be cautiously optimistic because every time something like this pops up or something like this is rumored, it always sounds a lot better than it actually is. It is. And you're going to need a, a, a truckload of money to actually back the thing. Um, you know, I think Fight Oracle said that, and I, I think he's usually right on those sorts of things, which is, you. I mean, you don't just need, like, a small, uh, you know, you don't go out and start that and give a revenue share of 50 percent unless you have like billion i mean like you need to sink you know like a quarter million to half sorry a quarter of a billion to half a billion into that kind of thing and if you're going to get someone that you're going to say hey we're going to go on pay-per-view and we're going to give you 50 percent of the profits that person's got to be fucking expensive now connor's contract does come up next year so that is looming so if you were a billionaire that wants to get into the fight game and you know you had you know, a name, I'm not saying he's a great fighter anymore, <laughs> but you knew that there was a name out there that you could build your brand off of. I also think, you know, you nailed it right on the head, which is it's going to be a three-pronged animal. One, there needs to be some sort of celebrity power in that, either in the person you sign, like a Connor, to be your flagship fighter, or someone like the Paul brothers who have a billion social media followers and can bring relevance to it. So that's part one. 
Part two is the actual money. And I know the Paul brothers have money, but they don't have the kind of money it takes to start uh, an actual league and pay the fighters 50%, um, unless you're really going to get into like freak show MMA fights. And I would never recommend that be a way for a new MMA league to come into existence. I would hope they go and actually get quality fighters, but you could still have them as the face of it, quote unquote. Um, and then you need the actual money people, you know, and I think that's a great, I've seen enough episodes of Entourage to know that if Ari Emanuel owns the UFC, there's someone in Hollywood who probably hates him and would love to go head to head with him um, and have like a de facto cold war in the world of mixed martial arts. So there's the money person. And then you need the actual suit and tie, the Dana White, if you will, to Lorenzo, Fertitta, to the Fertitta brothers, someone who's actually going to run it day to day and give it some credibility. So you mentioned someone like Bjorn Rebney. Also throw out another name. Um, he's actually been appearing on wrestling and he's a damn good heel, as oh, you say in the Lambert. business. And <laughs> Lambert. And Lambert has a lot of money and he would probably have to cut out the, the pro wrestling antics. But he might be another one, um, you know, owner of American Top Team. He might be another one, someone who could just lend some credibility to it. If not, he's, you know, maybe like a partial owner throwing his money to it. But it definitely excites me. I like anything that gets the fighters paid. I do think it's weird to start from scratch. You need a significant big bang kind of impact to do that rather than just go out and buy the PFL or buy Bellator. I also want to say one other thing, though. Because we know in this country that, you know, MMA was very much born out of a lot of pro wrestling, um, you know, marketing tactics and, and everything like that. And in Japan, the two are totally tied together. It is worth noting that, you know, out of nowhere, after 20 years of WWE not having competition, they have legitimate competition now in a promotion called AEW owned by Tony Khan, whose father owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. It started from scratch. It's drawing close to a million viewers a week on TNT. And if you remember how, you know, the UFC and Zufa basically relaunched that brand with the Ultimate Fighter show, they put it right after Monday Night Raw. And that's how that got eyeballs to the Ultimate Fighter uh, Stephen Bonner for his Griffin season. So I'm just thinking about actual potential real estate out there. It wouldn't surprise me because TNT is having so much success with a Wednesday and Friday night wrestling show that, you know, an MMA promotion could go right after that. And you're going to kind of get that, you know, that target audience. They all, they all want. Yeah. I, I think that makes a lot of sense too. Um, and, and it does seem like I, I will mention, it does seem like the networks are getting more into televising MMA. You know, you got TNT with one FC, you got PFL on ESPN. Right. You got the the UFCs obviously on ESPN. Bellator made that weird move to Showtime, which is it kind of doesn't fit that narrative. But also, uh, Kambache is is recently got a deal. I know they were originally on Univision, but they're also on an uh, English speaking channel now as well too. So, you know, like th those channels are are snatching up different MMA organizations. So it wouldn't be a surprise to see another one appear in that that space. All right. Let's get to our favorite segment on the show. It's fights, dogs, and parlays. Let's actually talk about some fights because it's UFC Vegas 37 this weekend, headlined by Anthony Smith versus, versus Ryan Spann, which is a pretty fun main event for a fight night. But before we get into it, Gumby, and we give such great advice on some fights to bet on, some parlays to play, our dogs of the week, before we do that, 
I want to know if anyone sponsors this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, leave yourself notes, give yourself different techniques that you need to work on, tag your training partners, add competitions, weigh in, so much more, all right in the palm of your hand. Ditch that dirty jujitsu journal and download Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. So Anthony Smith uh, was once a challenger for the light heavyweight championship, uh, lost to John Jones. This is back in March of 2019, and that was after he reeled off three wins in a row over Rashad Evans, Mauricio Shogun Hua, two Hall of Famers, or future Hall of Famers, and also a win over Volkan Ozdemir. Goes in, faces Jones, loses. Comes back, gets a big win over Alexander Gustafsson via rear naked choke, then loses back-to-back fights to Glover Teixeira and Alexander Rechik, uh, and then comes back and wins two in a row. So makes up for the two losses in a row and wins two in a row against Devin Clark and Jimmy Crute. So since losing to John Jones for the title, since challenging for the title, Anthony Smith is, I would say, a respectable three and two, and on a two-fight losing streak, and I love this matchmaking because Ryan Spann is an up-and-coming fighter at 205. Now, he is, he's 30, but he is a Dana White Contender Series alumni, which we broke down last week when we went over our top five Dana White Contender Series alumni, and he was on there. And in the UFC, he is 5-1, and one, coming off a win over Misha Serkinov, but lost to Johnny Walker before that but then wins over Sam Alvey, Devin Clark, Antonio Ruggiero Nogueira, and Luis Enrique. So very excited about his upside and his potential. But you have Anthony Smith, you know, the old dog, the old lion in the cage on a two-fight win streak. Smith, the minus-185 favorite. Span, the plus-155 dog. I'm very interested in this fight. Who you got? You know, this one's a really hard one. I actually think we'll probably have some answers pretty quick into the fight. Um, because I think Ryan Spann, if he keeps this on the feet, is both much longer than Anthony Smith and hits a lot harder. Um, you know, all respect to Anthony Smith, but I just think Ryan Spann's striking is actually a, a lot better and a lot more powerful than him. And I think that it's going to be trouble for him if he doesn't get it to the ground. That being said, if it goes to the ground here, Anthony Smith has done some pretty awesome things on the mat. You know, obviously he got dominated by Glover Teixeira. There's no shame in losing a grappling match to Glover Teixeira, but then he goes out and he submits Devin Clark seemingly kind of easy, and we're going to talk about Devin Clark in a second, too. It was kind of crazy to see that his jiu-jitsu is that good, so I think we're going to know a lot based on whether or not Smith chooses to try to take this to the ground and if he's successful. Um, ultimately, I actually think I'm going to go with Ryan Spann here as the underdog just because I think... You know, all fights start on the feet, so, you know, Ryan Spann's going to get a chance to box him up, knock him out, and uh, I like Ryan's, Ryan Spann's chances, especially if we're talking about getting a plus 155 return here. That That's just too good of money for me to leave on the table on a fight that I think is virtually a coin toss. Yeah, I think that's a great way to go about it. When you feel, you know, I guess it could go either way, quote-unquote, and you get the plus 155 money, and again, you're talking about someone on an upward trajectory. I think Anthony Smith, you know, is he probably has a few more fights left. I mean, I don't want to say that. He could end up fighting like Chuck Liddell, you know, who knows. But he is older, 
We've seen him have some problems. Uh, I like Ryan Spann in this fight, too, at the plus money. You mentioned Ian Kutaleba. He is our next fight. Uh, Kutaleba is the minus 145 favorite against Devin Clark, a plus 125 dog. Devin Clark um, is one of those guys that actually debuted on Dana White's Looking for a Fight. So I love when we can say, you know, there are three promotional vehicles to get a guy a name in the UFC when you've never heard of him. One was the Ultimate Fighter, traditionally. Then it was Looking for a Fight. And now Dana White's Contender Series, which I think is actually the best out of all of them. But that being said, Devin Clark came from Looking for a Fight. And since Looking for a Fight, uh, this is going back into 2016, He's six and five in the UFC uh, and coming off a loss to Anthony Smith via triangle uh, choke. And that was back in November of 2020 in Also not the prettiest of records. Um, he's coming off a split decision draw. So a draw with Dustin Jacoby. He lost to Magomed Ankilov before that via KO uh, and lost to Magomed Ankilov before that via TKO. And he beat Khalil Roundtree before that via TKO. So he is one, two, and one in his last four fights. He's a win one, lose one kind of guy. Also debuted in 2016. Here he is matching up with Devin Clark. Both these guys need a win in the worst way. Clark, the plus 125 dog. is the minus 145 favorite. What happens? So I love Devin Clark. He was obviously a friend of the show, the problem here I have with Devin Clark is that I trust his hands and I trust his wrestling when he is clearly the better wrestler. I'm just a little bit worried in this fight. He may not be. We watched Ian Kudalaba go out there and for the first round absolutely maul Dustin Jacoby, who I have a lot of respect for. I think he's an amazing kickboxer and a huge threat in the light heavyweight division. I'm worried that the same thing is going to happen to Devin Clark. Devin Clark's best strategy here is to make Eon Kudalaba work in that first round, survive, and then clearly have the cardio advantage. With that being said, I'm still going to take Eon Kudalaba here. I think he probably gets it done by just doing that damage early um, and winning enough rounds that way. Yep, I totally agree with you, and I'm not going to belabor the point anymore. So let's go to the next fight. Raquel Pennington, minus 110. Uh, Panny Kanziad, minus 110. So Vegas doesn't know what to make of this fight. What do you make of this fight? So it's a weird one for me because, to me, there are two women who are in completely different trajectories of their career. Kianzad trying to stay busy all the time on a four-fight winning streak. Pennington alternating wins and losses, you know, kind of on the downward slope of her career, we, we sort of think, which we don't necessarily know because she is coming off a win over Marion Renault. It's also weird, too, in that Kianzad has got excellent boxing. If this fight stays at range, she is 100% going to win. Raquel Pennington... Kind of great against the cage. She does a really good job of holding people down, taking them down. If it goes that way, she's totally going to win this fight. I just think Keon Zod can stay away from Raquel Pennington enough that she is going to have her way with the striking. I also think just in general, holding somebody against the cage if you're not scoring a takedown is not going to look as good on the judges' scorecards as Keon Zod whipping Raquel Pennington's head back with those jabs she throws or some big one-twos. So I'm going to say Keon Zod gets it done here by decision, but hey, there's a reason the odds are negative 110 apiece here. Basically a pick em. Uh, and It's because this fight is so hard to call. Totally agree. Um, and obviously the my, both fighters being minus 110, um, you know, call that a pick em where I come from. Let's get to our dog of the week. It's Nate Manass. He's a plus 170. Let's hear it. 
Yeah, I like Nate Maddox here over uh, Tony Gravely for a couple of reasons. Gravely, I think, is being a little bit overrated based on his wrestling game. Uh, Maddox comes from a wrestling background. Uh, And when you talk about these two on the feet, Maddox is a lot more nuanced when it comes to striking. He, He switches his stances all the time. He throws kicks, punches, works to the body. I think he's just more diverse on the feet, whereas Gravely's kind of just like a counter hook and then looks for the takedown. And I think against a guy like Nate Maness, who has such a high takedown rate, he's going to be forced to box with a guy who's a better boxer. And plus 170, I mean, he's one of the bigger underdogs on this card, believe it or not. There are only two or three really large underdogs. And then plus 170 is enough to make him like the fourth or fifth biggest one. So kind of shocking that he's that big because I, I think he's going to stuff the takedowns here and kind of have his way with Gravely on the feet. I love Nate Maness in this fight. Boom ski, boom skis. Let's get to our parlay to play. It's Emily Whitmere minus 120 and Impa Kasaganai of minus 135. I know I butchered that name, but <laughs> pair them together, you got plus 220. Yeah, you actually did pretty well. Zimba Kasaganai uh, is, like you said, betting off at negative 135. He's fighting Carlston Harris. Look, I think Harris is a slightly better grappler. Just slightly, ever so slightly. But I also think he's vastly outmatched on the feet and probably outmatched when it comes to wrestling. So I love Impa Kasangane here. I can't believe we're getting odds this close. Whitmire, on the other hand, is a fighter who I think is has done fine as long as she isn't fighting somebody who can grapple better than her. You know, she lost to Amanda Hibosh, who is, you know, really tough, great grappler. She lost to Pollyanna Viana, again, another phenomenal grappler. Jillian Robertson, those women can all really grapple. Anytime she's fought anybody she has a grappling advantage on, her grappling takes over. She takes the woman down, and half the time she submits them. I think she's got a grappling advantage over Hannah Goldie here. So for me, that's enough to really love Emily Wittenmeyer, especially at the number she's betting off at it, which is only negative 120. Boom, and that's enough for this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays this week. We sure hope you enjoyed it. It's our favorite segment to bring you. Let us know if we did you right. Let us know if we did you dirty. We'll be live tweeting during the show at Top Turtle MMA. Love to hear the fan interaction and feedback. Uh, Gumby, this train is a rumbling down the tracks. Where are we going next? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Christos Diagos, who fights Armand Sarkurian on the main card of UFC Vegas 37. He talks a little bit about getting that chance to fight a ranked opponent after going four out of his last five. And he talks about the move to Sanford MMA, which is quickly becoming the most popular gym in the UFC. So we're going to get to all that great content for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Christos Viagos, who fights Armand Sarkurian at UFC Vegas 37 on September 18th. So, Christos, before we get talking about that fight, I do want to backtrack. I want to take you back to five years ago, because at that time, you had just gone one and two in the UFC. You got caught from the UFC. You lost your first fight outside of the UFC to Josh Emmett. And now here you are, five years later, having won four of five, and you are fighting a ranked opponent for a chance to be in the UFC's top 15 in your wildest dreams five years ago, did you think that this is where you would be in, in five years? Um, I hope so. Uh, <laughs> did I think so? You know, you always have those mind, those things go in your head. Like, um, you think so, then, then then you think you're not good enough, then you think you're good enough. So you, you get a mixed uh, bottle of emotions. But uh, my whole goal when I joined, when I wanted to fight, was never to be champion, was to break the top 15. That was my main goal. Now... If I break the top 15, then you start to set new goals. But this was my number one goal, and I'm just happy that it's finally here. Yeah, it's certainly an exciting time. Now, I'm curious, too, because, you know, when you you 
started going on that run, which actually came right after that, if you want to include all the wins that led up to you getting rehired and taking your short notice fight and all that good stuff. Was there something that you went back to the drawing board and really changed about your game that that you feel like brought you out of kind of that that rough patch you were in? Um, you know, yes and no. You know, I've definitely became uh, a little smarter, and um, obviously with the experience, I'm uh, I'm just more aware of, of of what to do, what not to do, and um, you know, making those mis- I was making those mistakes. You know, I started pretty early. I was only 20. I only started training when I was 19 and got signed when I was 24. So though I was still growing. And um, I, I knew I was good enough, though, because, like, I mean, I, I like when I, when I had my first stint in UFC, I fought, you know, Gilbert Burns and look at him now. And then, you know, I, I won my second fight. And then my third fight was like a very, very close fight to Chris Way, who's in the million dollar finals with the PFL. But I took that on two weeks notice. And, you know, every time I fight, it shows that I, I belong in there with them. It just these little mistakes I was making. So uh, I think it was just a matter of just fine tuning my skills, um, being more patient and just, just figuring it out. You know, um, I knew the talent was there. It's just, it's just, you know, just, just learning a little bit more, getting better with time. And, and what, you know, you sort of mentioned it there at the end, was it just time to help you realize those things and work on those things or, did, did you do anything concrete to work on your patience in the cage or your mentality in the cage? Um, a little bit. Uh, just uh, I think more with time that you learn. Um, after the fights, you're like, fuck, why did I, why did I, uh, why did I rush it? Why did I do this? Why did I do that? So I think just for me, it was more with the experience. You know, I've never really had a solid team. Um, I've had good team, don't get me wrong, but I never really had like a team that I've, I've been with for a long time. I've, I've been hopping around trying to find myself and, um, I think I might have finally found it, but, uh, yeah, just more just finding myself, finding what works for me, what doesn't work and, uh, just learning as you go. Well, you pretty much made my transition to my next question for me. Cause I was about to ask you, you know, I saw you recently moved to Florida last time we talked you know, there were plans in place to go down to Florida, but you didn't really have any plans for a gym. I see you landed at Sanford MMA. I see pictures of you training there. What what sort of made you choose Sanford MMA of all the locations in Florida? Um, well, it was either going to be American Top Team or or, or Sanford. And, um, I feel like Sanford's just a little bit more team ordinate, uh, a little bit more of a team, has more of a team vibe. And um, I just, uh, and I'm a big fan of Henry and what they do with the guys down there. And um I, I just kind of liked what they did better down there. So I just kind of went with them and I was going to try it out. But I mean, after the first week, I, I kind of got hooked. You know, the the, the, the the teammates are awesome. Everyone's super cool. And um, I just I, I love the vibe. So I just kind of connected right away and uh, it, it ended up working out. You know, it's only like a 15, 20 minute drive from my house. So it's like perfect. So you went down there with the intention of trying out a bunch of different gyms. You were there for a week and you tried, you tried nowhere else. You didn't try American top team. You did, you never walked in the doors of anywhere else. Uh, I walked in the doors of American top team and I talked to Mike Brown and he kind of told me how they do it over there. And um, Pedro kind of told me a little bit too. And I, I kind of got the impression that they have like different coaches and you kind of pick your coach and all this. And it just seemed a little, not my vibe. So um, as soon as I went to Sanford, I saw how they were like a team and I was just like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I'm good here. I like how close it is. I love the guys here. And I have some old teammates from black house who are there too, as well. I just kind of, kind of just went with it, you know, and it worked out and, um, and like 
I talked to Derek Brunson a lot, and he said ever since he went to Sanford, he went 4-0, now 5-0 with his latest win with um, his last fight. But so I'm just like I'm getting I'm getting good good vibes good vibes and so I kind of just went with it. And now actually you 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 haven't been there too too long, right? You, you know your training camp has kind of been based out of there. But have you noticed any large changes in your own game with with changing up you know trading partners like you said that team orientedness you know working with Henry Hoof? Do you feel like there are big changes to your game already? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Um, I, I would have loved to have been here a little longer. Just uh the cards and play right for me i kind of jumped into camp as soon as i got out here so uh i had to pick a jump fast so that's kind of the, the, the issue as well but i've definitely gotten better um working with you know every person you go with is a high caliber fighter you know people go there from all around the world and people go there to, to, to win fights it's not like a regular gym where you know you got some guys that are gonna make it some guys who are never gonna make it you know everybody at this gym is planning on making it you know so it's um every every round you go with is a hard round <laughs> i'm used to going with you know you go with a couple good guys okay you can take a break by going with somebody who's not that good but you don't really get that over there so um it was a little bit of adjusting of of just going with good people every time and then um going with the good people uh i'm getting exposed a lot more than i was back at home you know because the guys are better so i'm getting more exposed to some of my holes in my game and 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 uh, I kind of like it. Uh, I, I was at a point where I was always winning, and now I'm, I'm at the point where I'm losing in the gym sometimes. So I'm, I'm making adjustments in the gym, not only in fights now. You know what I mean? So it's um, I'm definitely seeing a lot of improvement. I'm making little adjustments that's helping me, and all the guys are awesome. And when they see something, they always give you tips, and uh, and and it's been working. So especially going with uh, this guy Saul Rogers, he's fighting the same day as me, and he's helped me out a lot. You know, with the grappling. Well, that's that's great to hear because obviously, you know, let, let's talk a little about the, the fight. Armand Sarkarian is known for having really tough wrestling, really tough grappling, shooting a ton of takedowns in his fight. Your your wrestling has obviously been really great in your last couple of fights as well. But I, I was curious, how do you see that facet of the game sort of playing out here with both wrestling and wrestling defense? Um, you know, th- th- this is one that's just gonna have to find out with experience. I. Uh... I'm definitely confident in my wrestling and I know he's good. So, you know, I do expect to get taken down at some point in the fight. It just, whenever that time does come just to work back to my feet, not, you know, never let him get comfortable. Um, if he's going to take me down, I'm going to make him work for it to keep me down. And if I do, once I get up, I'm going to make him pay for it, you know, and just kind of do that throughout the fight, you know, and if I see any takedowns, up for grabs, you know, I'll take it too. So you never know what's going to happen, but uh, I definitely am going to be more patient and um, definitely want to try to look for the knockout, but uh, I know he's going to want to shoot and just going to have to be ready for it. And if he takes me down, jump right back to my feet, you know, never, never, never settle. And it sounds like listening to you right now and, and don't make me give away too much of your game plan. If you feel free to stop me, but it seems like you feel like you have the advantage on the feet that you feel like this is your fight. As long as it is standing, is that kind of the way that you see this fight going? Uh, yeah, I feel like it, it probably be my best stop. Um, one of my better chances, is, uh, striking with him, you know, um, he is a good wrestler and, uh, I don't want to play to his strengths, you know what I mean? So uh, I, I always like to play to to their weakness. And I wouldn't say striking his weakness because he's actually a decent striker. But I feel like um, in this kind of fight, this is going to be my best opportunity where I can win is, is on the feet. And, uh, and I'm going to come after him. So I know he's going to feel the pressure. And 
my goal is just to try to break him. You know, he's hard to break, but, you know, I, I tend to kind of push guys to their limits, you know, as far as I push myself. So I just want to see if he can keep up. And I'm sure he can, and I think it's going to be a dogfight. Well, we're looking forward to it. Now, before I let all my fighters go, when I interview them, I do like to ask, you got a prediction? It sounded like you said you're looking for the knockout earlier. Is that the way you see this one going? Uh, this one's going to be hard to predict. I'm just uh... – my prediction is going to be maybe a fight of the night bonus. That, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking to go out there and leave it all on the line. So um, there's not going to, there's going to be no boring fight here. So, um, but definitely going to go for the knockout. So it's either going to be a war or someone's getting knocked out. All right. Well, well, you heard it. <laughs> well, you heard it here first folks. That is Chris Dostiagos who fights Armand Sercurian at UFC Vegas 37 on September 18th. Crystal, thanks so thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you, man. I appreciate the time. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We certainly would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Venom in Vegas and Maroon Social. They help keep the lights on here at Top Turtle MMA Studio. Plus, we want to thank CagesidePress.com for being our mothership, a place for you guys to hear us each and every week and we want to remind you guys that you can check out us on twitter and instagram at top turtle mma both those spots and until next week i'm daniel gumby freeland he is shockwave dave tremonte we'll catch you then